brought to you by the letter pod with Carly and Kelsey. I'm Carly. And I'm Kelsey. Yesterday I said to my boyfriend that I wanted some alone time and then I accidentally got drunk by drinking two glasses of wine extremely fast and then he's like do you still so like okay let me let me rewind a minute so sometimes we say that we need alone time Mm -hmm. because i'm i'm grouchy for no reason and i think i just need to have some carly time some me time yeah so i said that and then we were getting ready for dinner and then i drank while making dinner like i do two glasses of wine extremely fast and then he's like, do you still want it? And I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm fine. I'm... And I then was really um, mad later that night because I ate too much. And I hate how I feel when I eat too much. And um, I forget the point of this story now. Cool. <laughs> oh, oh. You got I really alone... drunk. No, no, no. I wanted alone time so I could like actually watch a show by yourself yeah because every time we watch something we have to watch it together and we have to wait like i can't go forward and watch like i have to watch it together you gotta have your couple show and you gotta have your individual shows yeah i currently don't have an individual show see i have way more individual shows than i have joint shows yeah but i think it's just kyle and i have such different interests in general for things that we want to watch yeah but we're actually watching have you heard of the repair shop on Netflix, I think. No. They take like these old antique things. A person will bring in like a sentimental item and it's vintage. And they're like, I just want it to work how it used to or like whatever. Like one of the things was one of the little oh, yeah. telescopes that you use at the pier. So then they like refurbished it. Wait, I think I would love this show actually. It's, it's really good. Like it's calming mm-hmm. and they have different experts. So like they cool. did like a little pocket watch and they like painted the numbers on really carefully it's kind of like the i would say it's the same level of the first season of great british baking show yeah. like it's just like <sighs> well yeah i mean i told you like before we started recording too that i have been into like looking at junk on facebook marketplace and acquiring said junk for no reason so like, this sounds <laughs> exactly like looking at like junky vintage things but then making them new which is like what i want to do yeah i've been inundated with tiktoks of refurbishing like vintage chairs and that is leading in one of the reasons why i got my little green friggin vacuum that i'm so excited I about i can't wait i want to get one so bad that shit is like Chef's kiss to me. So I used it and I cleaned my entire couch this morning and I put it away and I was like, so I probably won't need to use this for like a really long time again because we don't have anything to clean. Like I'll that rent it from you. Yeah, you, can, you can totally I'll just use it on it. whatever. No, you can totally borrow it. I'll bring it next week. But um, something I wanted to talk about was like, I realized, well, two things. One part is that I'm realizing that this podcast... Realizing things. I'm realizing things. <laughs> this podcast is basically us being in high school, posting videos on Facebook, oh, and editing Facebook videos. Like, this is just the next level bullshit. Like, this is the next level shenanigans. Well, except in those videos, we talk about people, which is very awkward, when re-watching them as a grown person. But we, don't talking. T- but we don't say anything. <laughs> we, like, give shout-outs, you know? True, true. We were just like, you know who you are, which is so annoying and like teenagery. It's cringy. It's cringy for sure. I don't want to talk about it because it hurts 
to think about. Yeah. Well, I'm the only reason I was bringing it up is because, like, this is our next level. True. And then um, the other thing that I'm realizing is, like, I'm on a tolerance break right now. Yep. And the reason I took a break is because it started not serving me anymore. I was feeling worse. Now I've been, it's almost two weeks, and I'm realizing that I'm also, now I'm like not doing well either, but it's because I'm like thinking in a cyclical manner. I'm just like in my head all the time, thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. I'm being too reflective. I'm being the opposite of what I was before, which was completely checked out. Mm. Now I'm like way overstimulated with my thoughts and I'm thinking Mm -hmm. way too much and not being present. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing it's just about being present and not thinking about what happened or what's going to happen. Or I'm, I'm like criticizing my feelings in the moment and not just like feeling them. And it's, I'm just like doing this really weird observation of myself, which you can do in quarantine because you're all alone. I also think that the COVID fucking shit has made me think about so much stuff like you're saying i don't like Like, it it sucks and i'm like thinking about my past i'm like remembering people that i have no and situations that i have no right to go and just think about like how dare you go and invade my brain and now make me think about this like i hate it yeah but yeah that's been that's been happening a lot to me too having dreams where you're just like why is this person in my science class from 10th grade and why are you here? Please do, please leave. Now I'm going to be up like for the first like three hours of my morning, like wondering why you were there in my dream. I've been having some crazy dreams too. I don't know. At least it's getting warmer. I'm not ready to break out the shorts yet. So I'm wearing pants still. I probably won't ever break out the shorts. I was going to say, I've resided myself to long pants for the rest of my life because... Thank you for also calling them long pants, by the way, because I call them that. Long pants versus short (laughs) pants, I guess. I mean, I guess I could show a little ankle if I'm feeling, you know. Whoa, that... Yeah, yours are showing off a lot of ankle. These are like ankle... Yours are like lower mid calf. Mm-hmm. I did shave today too for you, so otherwise they'd be a lot. Ooh, I did not shave for you, and I will never. I can't see your ankles, so we're good. Keeping it modest. So this one, I was like not initially interested in doing. I also like kind of didn't want to do a person again, mm-hmm. but after I tried like eight hundred different subjects, I've landed on a person. Okay, and now it... I think I know who you're doing, but I'm excited. Go yeah. Ahead. All right. Oh wait, so... maybe not. Okay, go ahead. Wait, there's a couple people on our list. Okay, okay. Shh. <laughs> Ready? <laughs> so I'm going to do D.B. Cooper. Yeah! Woo! Let's go! <laughs> and for those who didn't hear over the scream, D.B. Cooper. Cooper. D.B. Cooper. D.B. Cooper, brought to you by the letter D. Yay. As a, um adult podcaster, I would like to cite my sources. I used... Yay. Um, FBI.gov. Nice. I used Wikipedia. And I, I also it. referenced the HBO documentary, The Mystery of D.B. Cooper. Did you watch that? I did. Whoa. Yes. Good job, Kelsey. I know, I did. I did, like, multiple levels of homework. Good job. So, I hadn't heard about this guy before, but when I started to read the story, I remembered the story. Yeah. D.B. Cooper, or Dan Cooper, is the person that hijacked Flight 305, Mm -hmm. and this is currently the only unsolved plane hijacking in American history. Yes. We talked about the CIA before. 
for the uh, Area 51, and now we're going to the FBI, the female yeah. body inspectors. Oh, Just kidding. Gosh. <laughs> On the afternoon of November 24th, 1971, Thanksgiving Eve... 1971. 1971. We're at the, the beginning of the 70s. The biggest party day. Is it the day before Thanksgiving? Oh my god, yeah, because everyone comes home from college to their hometown and goes out to the bars. Because no one has to work the next day. See, I never want to be hungover on Thanksgiving. I guess it's a good day to be hungover, though, because you can eat. Mm-hmm. The past so. few years, I've been in charge of the charcuterie tray, so we got we got snacks. Oh. We got snacks on snacks. Should we get cheese after this? <laughs> Dude, yeah, sure. I love cheese. All right. Going back to the man that we're yes, here for. Sorry, we got off topic. My bad. I just can't stop thinking about cheese. On Thanksgiving Eve, the day of Thanksgiving Eve, mm-hmm. sorry. A nondescript man using the alias Dan Cooper approaches the counter at Northwest Orient Airlines in Portland, Oregon. So he used cash to buy a one-way ticket on flight 305 bound for Seattle, Washington. I feel like one-way tickets, always bad news. Yeah, you should really just like lock those people up immediately. It's either a hijacker who's trying to escape something or an art thief. Or you're moving. No, it can't be that. <laughs> Impossible. Lock that them all makes up. too much sense. Lock them up. Cooper boarded the aircraft in the, uh, in the rear of the passenger cabin. He appeared to be in his mid-40s and was wearing a business suit with a black tie and a white shirt, so he looked pretty basic. Mm-hmm. At 2.50 p.m., he quietly ordered a bourbon and soda um, while the flight was waiting to take off. So a short time after 3 p.m., Cooper handed a note to Florence Schaffner, who was the flight attendant situated closest to his seat. Assuming the note was his phone number or something, like he was trying to hit on her, she dropped it in her purse, but he like stopped her and whispered, Miss, you better look at that note. I have a bomb. Oh, shit. Which is like the scariest mother heckin' thing. So the note was printed in very neat, all capital letters with felt tip pen. Nobody knows the exact wording of this no, because he ended up taking it back. So he like kind of took all of the evidence Whoa. with him for the most part. But we'll get into that. He asked the flight attendant to sit next to him. She did as he requested. And then she quietly asked to see the bomb. I guess she's like, show me your cards. Like, yeah. are you bluffing? Yeah. So he showed her, he opened his briefcase um, and revealed what looked like eight red cylinders attached to red wires and a large battery. So it looked. So it's like the cartoon TNT looking ass. Yeah, shit. yeah. It was like straight up dynamite looking. <laughs> Oh, God. And Anvil fell off. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like Road that. Roadrunner. Roadrunner yeah. shit. After he showed her that, she was like, oh, he's for real. I'm scared. He had her record his demands, which was $200,000 in negotiable American currency, which that's wow. a really weird way to say that. Negotiable? I don't... I. We'll get into that. Okay, we'll get into it. We'll we'll touch on it, which is the equivalent of oh in today's money. What okay, do you think? This is seventy one, two hundred thousand yeah. million dollars, one point three million dollars in today's money. He requested two hundred thousand dollars, four parachutes, and a fuel truck to be standing by in Seattle so that they could refuel the aircraft upon arrival. Hmm. And where did they take off from Portland? Yes, Portland, Oregon, going to Seattle. So this was like about a 30 to 50 minute flight. Yeah, I was just going to say, it was probably really quick. It was a quick one. So he had to act fast, which is why he like... He was like, um, excuse me. He's like, I'm going to get a drink. And then, um, 
I'm not going to dilly-dally. I'm going to get down to business. Yes, exactly. So the flight attendant goes and delivers this news to the pilots. And when she comes back, Cooper is wearing sunglasses for some reason, which is a little bit weird to me. <laughs> like, cue the, I wear my sunglasses at night. So the pilot, William Scott, contacted Seattle-Tacoma Airport air traffic control and informed local and federal authorities that they were gotcha. on their way and that this guy had a ransom and was going to hijack them. So, like, in the 70s, hijacking was actually fairly common. Yes. And, which I found mind-boggling to me. Because there was no rules. There was no security. It was the Wild West up in the air. You could smoke on the planes. Yes. It was crazy. Tickets cost $20. You could put down a fake name, basically. Like, that, I I mean, obviously, we don't know a world like that. But it's it's crazy. There are 35 passengers on the plane. It was about at one-third capacity. So the pilot makes an announcement on the intercom saying that they're having minor mechanical difficulties. So the aircraft had to, like, circle up in the air mm-hmm. for about two hours. Okay. They needed those two hours so that the police and the FBI could start getting together the parachutes and the ransom money and also get emergency personnel ready for mm-hmm. this stuff to go Whenever down. I, like, see or hear about stuff like this, I always wonder... And even in, like, dramatized, like, TV shows, like, the person asking for a ransom, what do they think? Do they think they're just going to get it and then be able to be free? Yeah. Like, that makes no sense, though. But it happens because a lot of the hijackings in the 70s were to take, I think it was Cuban nationalists, Mm -hmm. back to Cuba. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they would, like, hijack the plane, make them take them to Cuba. And at that time, like, shit wasn't cool. Right. And get rum and go on their way like the, then the people would just fly back i just can't imagine a world where like i would be like oh it's another hijacking must be tuesday like no no it's yeah. a no for me yeah so the flight attendant describes db cooper as calm polite and well-spoken which is like not consistent with a typical stereotype yes. of any kind of hijacker he wasn't nervous he seemed nice he wasn't cruel or nasty he ordered like a second bourbon and soda paid his tab, and then attempted to give one of the flight attendants the change as, like, a tip. And he offered to request meals for the flight crew during their stop in Seattle. He was like, can I get you guys anything? Oh Steak? A drink? What are you looking for? I, I would just, I, to me, I would be, like, so out of it because I would just be like, this is not real. Like, mm-hmm. this, there's this criminal hijacking me, but he's like, I'm trying to be nice. You want a sandwich? Yeah, trying to be <laughs> Cookies? Trying to be, be your friend. Yeah. And so the whole time that this is happening, like, there's a flight attendant sitting next to him. Mm-hmm. He's a chain smoker, so he's kind of, like, smoking a lot of cigarettes. He ends up smoking through eight cigarettes the whole Shit. through the whole thing, including when they leave. Flight attendant was sitting next to him, and she was lighting his cigarettes for him because he wouldn't take his finger off of the detonator. Shit. Yeah. Which is, like, so horrifying. Yeah. But just being chill. So the other flight attendant... Tina McLeod called Cooper being familiar with the terrain. So he, they were flying above Tacoma and he's like, oh, it looks like Tacoma down there. Mm-hmm. He also pointed out the matured Air Force Base, which is about a 20 minute drive from the airport that they were heading to. Mm-hmm. So at first, uh, the people that were working on getting him his stuff, they offered him military issued parachutes. Mm-hmm. But instead he demanded civilian parachutes, which had manually operated rip cords. Mm. And... I, like, can't decide if this was to throw them off, like, because he might have had military experience or if he just had more knowledge of civilian parachutes. So I'm just, it, there's, like, I wonder mm. what the point of that yeah. was. Maybe it means nothing. Who knows? Mm. 
I'm not a detective. So at 5.24 p.m., so they've been in the air for like over two hours now, mm -hmm. Cooper is informed that his demands have been met and at 5.39 p.m., the aircraft lands at the airport. Cooper instructs the pilot to taxi the jet to an isolated area of runway. the- Runway. The runway, thank you. You're welcome. Um, and he makes everybody close the window shades in the cabin to deter police snipers, mm. which is like well thought out. So Very at this good. point too, all of the passengers know what's going on. So actually they didn't really know what was going on until they landed. Right. Which is crazy. Like they were essentially in the air with somebody who had a bomb for two hours and nobody knew. No one knew. Which is crazy, like right. mad props to the, the flight attendants and the pilots and everybody keeping that shit together. Like, damn, those people yeah. are heroes. Yeah, so nobody knew. The sun is set. Cooper exchanges the flight's passengers for the money in the parachutes. He keeps three employees on board. Mm -hmm. He keeps the pilot, William Scott, the co-pilot, William Radek and the flight attendant, Tina McCow, who is the one lighting his cigarettes. Mm -hmm. And they set course to Mexico City. Mm -hmm. um, they're back in the air, and Cooper tells Tina to join the crew in the cockpit and stay there with the door closed. So at around 8 p.m., a warning light flashes in the cockpit, which indicates that the aft air stair apparatus had been activated. Mm -hmm. The aft air stair is something that's, I wouldn't say it's specific to Boeing 727s, but mm -hmm. it's it's one of the features of it where you can open the door and it kind of comes down yeah. like a, like a, yeah, 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 yeah. like how paratroopers use yeah. that. So it's, it's easy and to aft leave. means the back. So they notice a sudden change in air pressure indicating the door is now open. Oh, so this runway door thing is now open in the back of the airplane. While they're in the air. While they're in the air. But it is possible to fly and to land with the aft door open. Okay. Cooper also knows this, yes. apparently. So at 8.13, the aircraft's tail section sustains a, a sudden upward movement, and it's concluded that this was the time that D.B. Cooper jumped out of the airplane. Yeah, so crazy. Yes. Finally, at 10.15, the three people on the plane land at Reno Airport. So they start surrounding the plane because they can't confirm that he right. has left the plane, but then they find out that obviously he has. Let's talk about some evidence. The official description of Cooper has been unchanged and is pretty solidified mm -hmm. by everybody who came in contact with right. him. He's about 5 foot 10 inches, 180 pounds, mid 40s, and has a close set of piercing brown eyes and swarthy skin. Swarthy? Swarthy, adjective, dark skinned. Oh, okay. There we go. Three major pieces of evidence were left on the plane. A mother of pearl tie clip, which I didn't know what that was, what a mother of pearl <laughs> tie clip was. I know what a tie clip is, yeah. but it's, it just has like inset yeah. pearls. It doesn't matter. I don't know why I'm going into this. Mother of pearl. Mother of pearl. <laughs> I know I couldn't stop saying that. And then eight filter tipped Raleigh cigarette butts. DNA. Yes. But this is the annoying thing. Sometime after the hijacking, the cigarette butts were lost by the FBI, Ugh. which is like their main freaking source yeah. of DNA, which is just like, oh, so close. Somebody was probably like, ugh, this McQuaid never cleans up his cigarette butts yeah. and they just like throw them in. And I'm just like, damn it, you can't throw out anything in the FBI. You can't. Damn it, Lawrence, did you do that again? <laughs> Lawrence. <laughs> well, wow. you said McQuaid. Yeah. Can those be our FBI slash CIA alter egos since we've been sure. talking about it a lot? <laughs> so this happened in November of 1971. Yes. 
In November of 1978, a placard printed with instructions for lowering the aft stairs of a 727 was found by a deer hunter near Castle Rock, Washington. Whoa. So it could have been within flight 305's basic path. Because mm-hmm. um, they don't really know where they were above when right. this guy jumped out. So there's a big kind of, there's right. a lot of options here. Right. The FBI agents uncovered 66 unidentified fingerprints aboard the airliner and two of the four parachutes, one whose suspension lines had been cut. Weird. I think that he used it for potentially tying the money sack to his himself. Uh-huh. So the investigation continues. So five years after the hijacking, the FBI has considered more than 800 suspects and has eliminated all but two dozen. On February 10th, 1980, which is almost nine years after the hijacking, there's another lead when an eight-year-old boy named Brian Ingram uncovers three packets of ransom money on the Columbia River at the beachfront known as Tina Bar near Vancouver, Washington. Mm. So they're able to confirm that this money was in fact the ransom money given to Cooper because of the serial numbers. To date though, none of the other 9,710 remaining bills have turned up anywhere. So, like, have they not been spent? Like, I... It's... Weird. It's weird. It's a little weird. Those two artifacts, the the money and then the instruction placard, are the only other confirmed physical evidence outside of the plane. Right. Essentially. So there's then nothing else found. So in late 2007, the FBI announced that a partial DNA profile has been obtained from three organic samples found on the tie clip. They also acknowledged, though, that they can't confirm that this is D.B. Cooper's DNA. So it's like, we found stuff, but it might not matter. Well, I don't wear ties or like tie clips, but I'm just thinking if you're not wearing an undershirt, when you clip it, because you clip it to your shirt, your button-up shirt, you would like scratch your chest a little bit. Yeah, but that would be in your fingernails, not anywhere else. No, 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 it would be on the other side of the clip. You could be wearing an undershirt. Yeah, but like how else does DNA get on that? Someone spit on it or sneeze on it? They're fingerprints. I mean, your hands have DNA. Really? Yeah. Oh. I think so. I just thought DNA maybe it was is like liquid shit in your hair. Li- <laughs> Sorry, liquids, <laughs> fluids. Sorry. I literally <laughs> thought you could only collect DNA from people's shit no. and hair. I mean, you can collect it from their shit too. Yes, fluids the- and hair, and then your fingerprints. I think we shouldn't speculate how DNA is found because we know... Well, we could have done it for D, but we didn't, so... You didn't highlight it. Oh, all right. I would have done I DNA. I guess it's my fault, then. It's your fault. Yes, it's my fault. It's all your fault. Everything's my fault, Maggie. All right, let's get back on track. All right. Maggie, keep us on track, please. So in March 2009, they formed a Cooper research team which reinvestigated important components of the hijacking... They found a couple of different medals on the articles of his tie. Mm. They found unalloyed titanium, Mm -hmm. which is only used in metal fabrication or production facilities or at chemical companies. This implies that Cooper might have been a chemist or a metallurgist. I've never even heard of that word or possibly an engineer. Mm -hmm. They also reported that some rare earth minerals, cerium and strontium sulfide, had also been found. And this was really only used in rare applications by Boeing's supersonic transport development project, mm. which, so that implies that it could, Cooper could have been mm-hmm. potentially an employee. Yes. Like how he knows what the aft stairs are or whatever. Yes. <laughs> and another part is that 
the flight attendant, when she was sitting next to him, asked if he had a grudge against the airline. And he said, I don't have a grudge with the airline. I just have a grudge. So I don't know. That kind of hints that maybe he wasn't Hmm. part of the airline, but who knows? So when we're profiling the suspect, there's a couple things that we can assume. Mm -hmm. We can assume that Cooper was familiar with the Seattle area and that he may have been an Air Force veteran, but not a paratrooper. Because no experienced parachutist um, would have jumped out in a pitch black night in the rain with 172 mile per hour wind in loafers and a trench coat. Like, it would be too risky. So he had to, like, be knowledgeable, but not too knowledgeable. Right, right. Like, just knowledgeable enough just to knowledgeable make stupid enough. mistakes like the rest of us. It's likely that his uh, financial situation was very desperate. Because a lot of these hijackers are, like... They don't know what else to do. Portland at this time was going through like a huge job crisis. Everybody was looking for money. Unemployment Mm -hmm. was high. So it was just like a nightmare. So that gives like, it could have been anyone, you know? It's also theorized that he took this alias from a popular comic book series um, that was made in the 1970s uh, that deals with a fictional character called Dan Cooper, who is a Royal Canadian Air Force test pilot. And he does some like adventures and parachuting. They also noted that his demand for negotiable American currency, quote unquote, is like a phrase that Americans don't really use. So witnesses say that he didn't really have a distinguishable accent. So if he wasn't a U.S. citizen, he was most likely from Canada. A. A. So there's that too. They know that he's knowledgeable about flying technique, aircraft, and the terrain. And we know that he demanded four parachutes to force the assumption that he might compel one of the hostages to jump with him, therefore ensuring that he wouldn't get any faulty parachutes. Mm-hmm. So he was like kind of, he had like a lot of, a whole bunch he of got some strategy up there for sure. And he chose the 727 because it was ideal to bail out through the aft air stair. And based on the engine placement, it allowed for a relatively safe jump. He also knew that the aft air stair could be lowered during flight and that's a fact that wasn't even disclosed to civilian flight crews. So, like, I don't think the pilots even knew that. But he knew that you could do it safely. So, that's kind of interesting. Now let's talk sussies. Let's talk sus. some suspects. All right. So, the HBO documentary that I watched pointed to four main ones. Mm-hmm. But I have a couple more. Just for Ooh. funsies. All right. So, the first guy is Kenneth Peter Christensen. He was an army vet and a paratrooper, so that kind of might rule him out because yeah. he's a paratrooper, but after he... Unless he wanted to... Yeah. It's like, does he want them to know that he doesn't right. know, that they know, that exactly. he knows, <laughs> you know. So after he left the army, he joined Northwest Orient, which is the flight... Mm-hmm. Or... Airline. Which is the airline. Thank you, cheese. After he left the army, he joined Northwest Orient, which was the airline that um, D.B. Cooper flew on and, you know, hijacked. Yeah. As a mechanic, and then he ended up being a flight attendant and then a purser as well in Seattle. Purser is the people who put the luggage on, I think. Purser, noun, an officer on a ship who keeps the accounts, specifically the head steward on a passenger vessel. Okay. I guess that means that he's like the lead flight attendant, maybe? Okay. Perhaps. Makes sense. Christensen was in the right age range. He was 45 years old at the time of the hijacking, but he was shorter, thinner, and of light complexion. Mm -hmm. So kind of ruled him out overall. Some similarities that he had to D.B. Cooper was he smoked, which like everybody in the 70s smoked. smoked. 
babies were smoking. Yeah, you got like your first pack of cigarettes as you came out of the womb. Yeah. He loved bourbon. Again, this is like every person in the world. He was also left-handed, which you can tell that the clip was applied on the left side Mm -hmm. of the tie. So that could imply that it kind of linked him a little bit. The flight attendant who he gave his number to, a.k.a. the ransom note to, looked at photos of Christensen and said that his photo was the closest of any of the suspects that she's seen. Mm -hmm. But she still could not conclusively be like, that's him. Mm -hmm. Which I feel like if you see a picture of somebody, you like kind of can be like, that's them. In trauma. Like, I feel like trauma stores itself in interesting ways. Right. But it also does distort as well true eyewitness stuff isn't always the most reliable true we should do trauma tea for trauma (laughs) so when christensen dies his family members discover over two hundred thousand dollars in his bank accounts but it's later found out that it's because he had sold off two dozen acres of land for like seventeen thousand per acre in the mid 90s they also found a folder of northwest orient news clippings that started when he was hired and then stopped before the date of the hijacking, like right before. And he continued to work there part-time at the airline for many years, but never clipped anything else out of the newspaper. <laughs> so they're like, why would he not clip the most significant story? I know. Why? Lost the scissors. <laughs> You're fired. I'm canceling this podcast was, immediately. Listen, I don't claim to be funny. I just try really hard. <laughs> <laughs> the next suspect is... Lynn Doyle Cooper, or L.D. Cooper. L.D. Yeah. So this suspect was actually proposed by his niece, Marla Cooper. She has a memory of when she was eight, and her uncle, who is L.D. Cooper, and his brother were out in the woods, and they were being whispery and, like, talking on the side. And she was like, what are you guys talking about? What are you guys talking about? And he's like, we're talking about turkey hunting for tomorrow, uh, because it was, like, two days before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And she's like, oh, for Thanksgiving. They're like, haha, yeah. Sure, Marla. Um, sure. Sure. So she was like, they were just being kind of weird. They were talking about walkie-talkies and stuff like that. It was just... Roger, Roger. Roger, yeah. So then the next day is when Flight 305 was hijacked. And though her uncles were supposedly turkey hunting, LD came home wearing a bloody shirt, which he said was the result of an accident. Like an auto accident. Okay. So, later she said that her parents came to believe that he was the hijacker. She also recalled that he was obsessed with the Canadian comic book hero, Mm. Dan Cooper. Mm -hmm. And had one of the comic books thumbtacked to his wall. So that's like Mm -hmm. kind of an interesting connection. I've also, I feel like people who do aliases in order to like not forget... (laughs) Yeah. They keep their name kind of similar, but different enough, right? I mean, I mean, if I were, sense. yeah, if I were a con artist, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Her dad, like, swears her to secrecy to, like, never talk about this again. But obviously after time passes and he passes away, she's like, I'm going to talk about it. Because this is, like, a weird recovered memory That's that I have. weird also that her dad was like, never speak of this again, too. I mean, if you have dark family secrets, that's, I mean, I feel like that's pretty on par yeah. with. yeah dark stuff there are two sketches of db cooper uh police composite sketches yes um one of them is like the most popular one the other one kind of shows him having a little bit more wavy hair they call it marcelled hair that is what kind of makes it look more like ld cooper okay a little bit 
But the FBI also announces that his DNA does not match the Thai clip's gotcha. DNA, which you're going to find is the same across the board. Yes. Nobody's DNA matches this clip at all. Gotcha. The next sus character in the story is Barbara Dayton. A lady? A lady. Okay. So, Barbara Dayton, who is actually formerly known as Robert or Bobby Dayton, okay. which I will explain, was a recreational pilot and a University of Washington librarian. She was born Robert Dayton and served in the Marines and the Army during World War II. She was unable to obtain her pilot's license, but she did love flying for fun. Mm -hmm. Bobby became Barb in December of 1969. So this is two years before the hijacking. So it was after gender reassignment surgery. Barbara meets a couple named Pat and Ron, and they love flying planes recreationally as well. Dayton is kind of a loner, but she does like get along with this couple Mm -hmm. really well. And so they share a mutual interest in flying. And that's just kind of the culture that they have. Like everybody's kind of in the, in the loop with each other, but often there would be like shop talk about uh, the Cooper case. Mm -hmm. And there was like a conversation going on and someone voiced that Dayton was like kind of silly. Mm-hmm. And she got, like, really mad and vocal. And then Ron, who is the husband in the couple, jokes that she is probably D.B. Cooper. And she sternly turns around and says, never make a joke like that again. Which is, like, kind of scary. Um, so as their relationship deepened, Dayton confided two things in the foreman's. First, it's that she was formerly a man and had underground surgery. Mm-hmm. And the second was that she was, in fact, D.B. Cooper. What? Yes. So... Because she was going through gender reassignment surgery, she had to go through psychological evaluation at the Mm -hmm. University of Seattle Hospital, I believe. So we do have some records of that. So six months before the hijacking, she was feeling discouraged and unable to find employment because jobs were scarce and she couldn't take any jobs that like had short sleeves because she had a lot of tattoos Mm -hmm. on her arms. She was also ineligible for welfare because she was single, under 50, and also was had no handicaps. So Mm -hmm. she like didn't qualify. So eight days before the hijacking, the doctor's notes say that she's depressed, she's considering suicide, things aren't looking up for her. In a couple weeks later, after the hijacking, when they check in again, they say that she's doing well, she's not depressed. While she does live like a very empty social life, she feels content with it. She's on welfare and even though it's going to be running out, seems to not be worried about it. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a interesting change from right. before. The FBI has never commented publicly on Dayton. So I guess they've eliminated her as a suspect. Mm-hmm. But it's a very interesting idea. And also that during the time of the hijacking, she had already gone through gender reassignment surgery. Right. So uh, she would have been like dressing up as a man, right. which is interesting. The next person, his name is William Gossett. He was in the Marine Corps, Army, and Army Air Forces. All these people are like army people, which is, so these all sound the same, but he was like obsessed with this hijacking. Mm -hmm. Like he saved and collected all of these Cooper news articles. Scissors. He had scissors. Yeah. So late in his life, he reportedly told his sons that he was the one that committed the hijacking and photos of him taken around that time period Mm -hmm. very closely resemble the composite sketch. Mm -hmm. His oldest son talks about how he was a compulsive gambler and like he was always strapped Mm -hmm. for cash. So his dad would often, like, you know, gamble his money away. In the Christmas of 1971, which is the year the hijacking happened, he showed him wads of cash. Hmm. And the son speculates that he gambled the money away in Las Vegas later that year. In 1988, however, he changes his name to Wolfgang, for some reason. Becomes a Roman Catholic priest. 
Oh my God. People speculate that this is just to disguise his identity further. One piece of circumstantial evidence includes testimony from one of the passengers on the hijacked aircraft regarding a mysterious physical detail, which he won't divulge, which I don't know why, that the hijacker and Gossett had, had in common. What? Yeah, I don't know what that means, and I couldn't find anything further, so that's you kind of interesting. You have a hairy mole or something that you're embarrassed <laughs> to talk about? Like, like, why would you be, would you be embarrassed for him or yeah. something? <laughs> that's weird. Yeah. So the next suspect is Richard McCoy Jr., he was an army vet as well. First, he served as a demolition expert, and then he served in the Green Berets as a helicopter pilot. And after his military service, he became an avid recreational skydiver. On April 7th, 1972, so this was after the hijacking, mm-hmm. McCoy staged what was known as the best so-called copycat hijacking. So he boarded uh, United Airlines Flight 855, which was also a Boeing 727, Mm -hmm. in Denver, Colorado, and also brought along a paperweight that resembled a hand grenade and an unloaded handgun where he demanded four parachutes and $500,000. When he got the money and landed at the International Airport, um, he was ordered to go back into the sky and he bailed out over Utah, leaving behind his handwritten instructions and his fingerprints on a magazine that he had been reading. So on April 9th of that year, he was arrested and they found the $500,000 in like the attic. Um, he received a 45 year sentence and two years later, he escaped the prison with several accomplices by crashing a garbage truck through the main gate. <laughs> nice. He was tracked down three months later in Virginia Beach where he actually was killed in a shootout with the FBI. Oh. Yeah, crazy. So his parole officer and also a former FBI agent believe that McCoy is Cooper they know that McCoy's family claims that the tie and mother of Pearl clip left on the plane looked like McCoy's. Hmm. But the FBI really doesn't consider him a, a suspect because of mismatches in age and description. The next suspect is Dwayne L. Weber. Dwayne was an army veteran in World War II, and he was married to a woman named Joe. He gave her a deathbed confession. He said, I am Dan Cooper. She didn't really know what that meant because she didn't know about D.B. Cooper, so she was like, okay, whatever. But then she looked into it and her friend was like, that's like a hijacker. So she starts thinking about her past and she's realizing that a lot of things and memories that she has are kind of like odd now mm-hmm. with that perspective. And they met when he he was like very much her senior. There was a lot of life he lived before he met yes. her. And so, you know, we just don't know about that. But she went to the local library to do some research on D.B. Cooper and found a book on D.B. Cooper with notations in the margin that that looked like her husband's handwriting. What? Which to me almost seems like it wouldn't be him then because he was just like researching it and then maybe he like lived vicariously through him. Yeah. Or maybe he was looking to see if people found good stuff on him. I don't know. But it's so interesting. Because he could have get like the deathbed confession thing could have been because he was like so obsessed with the story or something. Yeah, yeah. well, right, like you know how serial killers yeah. are like obsessed with their own yeah. their own stories. Um, so yeah, so in retrospect, she's like a lot of these things that happened in the past are kind of weird. Like one thing is that he would talk in his sleep sometimes about jumping off of a plane, and what? that. And he was worried about leaving his fingerprints on the aft stairs. He also told her that he had an old knee injury from jumping out of a plane. And she, like, just didn't ask questions. And I'm like, I, Joe. Once again, we're going in with the trust. Joe, you need to, Joe, you need Joe, to ask questions. Joe, come on. You need to know about the past. <laughs> Your partner. It's, yeah. yeah. Gotta know all the dirt. Yeah. 
Another similarity is that Weber drank bourbon and chain smoked, which is like every person, not really a big distinguishable thing. But after his death, she discovered that he had fake IDs in his wallet and other aliases. Hmm? So it's just very weird. Um, And she wasn't able to find like anything else. He was an ex-convict though, which she didn't know. He had served at at least six prisons. Served time in at least six prisons. Yeah. So for burglary and forgery. So... He had that storied past, just don't know if he was the hijacker, but it's very interesting. Another thing that she found really odd is she thought about a journey that they took. He took her out to Seattle and was taking her to all those random places and just was being very nostalgic. Mm -hmm. She was like, oh, this is so weird. And then one morning he goes out for a walk with a paper bag and he like tosses it into the river. (laughs) She like gets really mad at him because she's like, what was in that bag? And he's like, oh, it was just trash. She's like... A earth lover and she's like why would you throw trash in our waterways like she got really pissed at him but he was just like don't worry about it she was like so okay weird. So and weird. if you remember money was found on the shore yeah yeah by brian ingram four months later and that is the same waterway so it could have gone downstream and arrived at the beachfront whoa yes so with all that knowledge They eliminated him as a suspect because his fingerprints didn't match, (laughs) which is like everybody. And then I just added this one in for fun. But our but our good old evil person, John List, was a potential subject as DP. I literally just finished listening to a last podcast on the left. About him? Yeah. I just I, finished it, like, yesterday. I just did, like, a little peek into him, and I, and I, I know the story already, but I just, like, I don't like reading that. It's no, just not it's good. Really bad. Um, for those who don't know, John List was an accountant from New Jersey who murdered his wife, three teenage children, and 85-year-old mom. And then he, like, put their dead bodies in the house and, like, put them in, in sleeping bags. Room. In their ballroom. Yeah. Because he was worried about financial trouble, but the like whole no, I'm not gonna spoiler alert it, am I? No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do that. But he was uncaught for freaking eighteen years. Like he had a whole life yeah. basically. I just after. Yeah. He doesn't then, deserve any more of our time, but yeah. he was a potential suspect for a hot minute because he killed his family fifteen days before the hijacking. So he could have been like high anxiety, kinda going a little nuts. So yeah. but I don't People don't really. Yeah. It's just a fun one they throw in there. It's just a coincidence. Coinky dink. Coinky dink. (laughs) On July 8th of 2016, the investigation was officially suspended by the FBI. Wade and Lawrence, they couldn't. (laughs) They couldn't do it. They said they needed to uh, focus their investigative resources and manpower on issues of higher and more urgent priority. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing with this story that I really like is just nobody really got hurt. You know, nothing yeah. horrible happened, but it's just like a mystery and it's like, and it's just a Nobody got physically hurt. Mystery. Yes. You know? It's very interesting. Yeah. So there's a 60 volume case file compiled with over 45 years of investigative evidence that will be at the FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C. And it's open to the public. Ooh. A lot of people speculate that D.B. Cooper very well could have died in yeah. jumping off of the plane. And also, I forgot to mention at the top of the episode, but D.B. Cooper, because he wrote Dan Cooper on his flight ticket. Yeah. D.B. Cooper actually comes from a misprint in one of the news articles. Oh, yeah. And, like, all the newspapers, like, everybody now just uses D.B. Cooper. Yeah. So it's, like, a typo essentially changed the, <laughs> the way we talk about him. 
Just be like that sometimes. It just be like that sometimes. I bet that intern was like, I hate myself. Yeah. So to this day, the story of D.B. Cooper or Dan Cooper and the hijacking of Flight 305 remains the only unsolved plane hijacking in American history. And that is the story Ooh. of D for D.B. Cooper. I love it. What do you I think? think? I thought it was, um, okay, what was his okay, name? Okay, yeah, I'll give you some names. So we can do it together if you want. I'm leaning one way, but so, I want to hear what you think. So at first so I there. thought it was the, like, fourth person you mentioned, I, I believe. <laughs> William Gossett. Yes. He I, renamed himself to Wolfgang. Yes. I thought it was him until you mentioned the guy who chucked the shit in the river. <laughs> So the I'm, money. So Dwayne L. Weber yeah. was the guy who chucked the thing of money in the river. Yeah, so I think it's him. And you don't think it's Dwayne. Lynn Doyle Cooper? No. Who is the guy who his niece... No, because... No. Okay. So I agree with you, actually. I think... I mean, also, Barbara Dayton just sounds like it could be really interesting. That could be yeah. one of them. The thing that's so strange is, so she was someone who confessed, like, I think the William Wolfgang guy was someone who said that it was, yes. told people, but, like, where does that come from? Wanting to claim something? I like, guess wanting to have some 15 minutes of fame or, you know, sometimes you become so obsessed with something that yeah. you get lies in your head, yeah. perhaps. Yeah. yeah, so my my vote is Dwayne L. Weber. Yeah. If you watch the HBO documentary, it's, like, crazy. Yeah. There's so much more to it, and it's just, like, I'm not going that far deep. It, it feels like it could be. I bet, like, on, because he was the one who had a deathbed confession to his wife, and I yeah. bet she was, like, okay. Like, She's, like, what do you want me to do about that? <laughs> He's, like, I'm D.B. Cooper, and she was, like, all right, hon. And then I think his fake ID said he was John Carson Collins, which I thought was his real name, but I'm, it's so confusing. Huh. There's too many names. Yeah. But. He seems, he seems to fit also the most of like what I want D.B. Cooper to be. I want D.B. Cooper to be like a smarmy, as I mentioned before, con man. Like I want him to be like a secret person that has aliases and that has all this like secret shit and like writes in the margins of books and like yeah. throws shit in rivers like that's who yeah. I want it to be because yeah. it's more fun yeah um so that's why I think it's him yeah <laughs> a lot of people like look at D.B. Cooper as this like hero like a Robin Hood sort yeah. of thing yeah. everybody was like no he got his like he did what he had to do and he didn't hurt anybody yeah. like I think that's why people really glommed onto it is like they had something to believe in yeah it's just very interesting. Yeah. And then, yeah, it's the the thing that sold it for me really was the bag of money or the bag of trash. Mm. And there, if you watch the HBO documentary, there's like just too many things that feel real and feel like he was just a little, he was just like the perfect amount of shady and yeah, smarmy exactly. Exactly. that he could fit it. So that's my guess. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I yeah. love that too. That's that's it, man. And it just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, I love that story. It's really it's really cool. Yeah, I just feel so bad for the pilots and the Oh yeah, and the I mean, it's definitely like a shitty situation that you don't want to find yourself in. Yeah. But 
And we'll probably never know, you know, ever. I don't think we will. And I think that's okay. Yeah, it's fine. Some things are just meant to be shrouded in mystery. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at by the letter pod and you can email us ideas for future episodes um so next week is e and you can email us at by the letter pod at gmail.com so we'll see you next week bye, bye.